Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with host Lou Weiss, who's the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio. He's also the president of All Metals and Forge Group. That is a manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings like the big gears you see behind us. And if you're looking for that information, check them out at steelforge.com. Joining us today is Susan Conrad and Gordon Hall of GS Enterprises. We're very excited to have them here. Our mission on Manufacturing Talk Radio is to give manufacturers useful, helpful, actionable information they can apply, do something with it in their business to make manufacturing better. That's why Gordon and Susan are with us. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you uh, for thank having you, us. Thank you, Lou. Great, welcome. So, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, GS Enterprises. I, I know all about you guys because I met you at a trade show. Yep. So, why don't you uh, just jump in and let's talk about uh, the the core of GS Enterprises? Sure. So, I, I guess I'll start, Sue. So. Uh, you know, GS Enterprises, we're a manufacturing operations consulting firm. So what is that? That's a mouthful, right? So it's a lot of words, uh, but manufacturing operations. So what does that entail? You know, any company that's manufacturing a product, uh, anything that touches that product is, is operations. So uh, anything from looking at uh, securing a facility uh, to uh, developing the product or product development through engineering and R&D, uh, through setting up a manufacturing uh, floor uh, with work process, with flow, uh, all that kind of lean manufacturing capabilities through uh, your incoming quality inspection team, your quality management system, uh, through your uh, inventory control, uh, your packaging of the product and how it's packaged, how it uh, gets shipped out, uh, your distribution and logistics uh, chain uh, through your uh, customer service model, as well as your after-service uh, sales and repair, uh, all operations. So everything really but that whole finance aspect or that sales and marketing. Uh, it's important also to talk about uh, sales. You know, sales and operations typically have a little bit of a, of, of, of a fight here. You know, they always, you know, I need more. I don't have enough. Uh, we kind of pride ourselves at GS uh, with the ability to really collaborate and be transparent with the sales and the commercialization team. Um, but other than that, I think one of the big things we also want to talk about is is culture and, and team uh, teams in your manufacturing facility. I think, Sue, maybe you want to speak a little bit to that. Um, it, it's, it's a super important part that hits all of those aspects of manufacturing. Right. I mean, I grew up with a very uh, blue collar, the blue collar family, but very uh, hardworking. And, you know, my parents worked in manufacturing and many times, you know, they would come home and you know, they'd either be upset about something or they didn't have a great day. And I always found that sometimes the camaraderie or the culture wasn't always that great. And so when Gordon and I started this company and we decided to get into manufacturing, one of the key things that I really wanted to focus on was building a great culture within the manufacturing industry is, you know, without your people, you don't have a product. You know, people that come in and they punch in every day building, assembling, going through that work construction, going through that process. Some have light work, some have heavy work, some have clean work, some have dirty work. You know, we have to make it pleasing and, and great for them to come to work so that they feel vested in the company and 
you know, what do you get? You get a great product and a great company at the end of the day. So culture is a very big thing for us, team development, uh, building out the right tiered organization structure, leadership structure, you know, the executive team, getting them involved with, you know, right down to the, uh, you know, janitor level, you know, and it's just everybody is part of a team. With Everyone, the every single person. Company. So, you know, that's, that's our approach. And there aren't titles when there is a company that you want to evolve and grow and um, be productive. So that's a big thing for us. And, and one other aspect about GS that I think it's really important for us to touch on that's important to us is that, you know, when we come in and look at, you know, uh, an inventor or a startup company or an early stage company, or it could be a, a transitional generational, second, third generation transitional company in 40, 50 years of business uh, that asks us to come in. The one thing that's really different about what Susan and I do and how we approach a company is it has to be a two-way street. It has to be a partnership. And that when we go in and do this, we don't just come in, look at a place for a couple of days uh, or, and, and, and throw a report at them. Uh, we immerse ourselves completely into that company. Um, we lead by example. We put the work boots on the t-shirts. We sit next to the assemblers. We do the work with them. We actually put the, the, the pallets in the truck and we learn the process as we go to immerse ourselves, to be transparent with all of the team, we'll go in and actually help the janitor clean a bathroom. It doesn't matter what we do. We will lead by example and no one will ever do anything that we wouldn't do ourselves. And we show that as we're in with these companies. Uh, and that's important uh, because we want the entire team to be vested in our process and our ability to help them grow and increase their manufacturing. And, you know, and I think just to add to that, I think you know what that creates is you know, change is very difficult, you know, when you do have a generational company 20, 30, 40 years, and, you know, and it's just being, um, you know, taken over by family members or whoever, change is very difficult, yes. you know, processes are sort of solidified within a company at that point. And so we find that when Gordon and I show up with our work boots, sweatshirt, t-shirt, we roll up our sleeves, and we're re actually really invested, and we care about them, it becomes, a, we become part of the family. We really do. We become part of their team. And I think, you know, they respect that. And, you know, we're not here just sitting in our office typing up a report, like Gordon said. We really want to get into the weeds and go through the pain with them and, and work through that, that change with them. Well, I appreciate the, uh, the, the lengthy response that you've given me. It's, it's sort of, I'm not sure if I have any questions left. <laughs> that said, that said, we can uh, talk for days, Lou. We're good. I, I know. Uh, I mean, we talked for five minutes in an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I did pick up on uh, originally was that uh, you do focus on startups to a great extent mm -hmm. and uh, newbies. Uh, and certainly the last several years, particularly since COVID, there are a lot of newbies out there. A lot of people, you know, the great resignation uh, where right. people went into business or tried to go into business, of which, of course, 90% failed. Uh, but there's still that 10%, which is adding to our uh, GDP. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that, uh, in, in terms of a newbie, 
I understand that they really would look to your input and value your input because they really don't know anything. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have a, a mid uh, a transitional transformation company, second, third generation, and or a company who says, hey, you know, we think that we need to make some changes, but we don't know what they are. So a seasoned company having your input and your uh, advantage of not being involved in that company and being able to see from a bird's eye view, all the things that are could be corrected, fixed, altered, uh, restructured and so on. So my first question, my first question is, how does an, an, a company that has been on, an ongoing company mm -hmm. uh, and or a transformation company, how do they react to your, aside from the fact that you went in and cleaned the bathroom, uh, what, what's their uh, response to some of your comments in restructuring and, you know, this is great, but you could do it better. This could be, you can get a better return on investment here. You can, whatever the points are, how do they handle sure. the corrective criticism? That That's a great, that's a, an absolutely great question, Lou, because we never know how they're going to handle that, right? Until you get in there. But so what we do, and again, so you can jump in anytime, what we do is we, we make it, we don't set up an hour meeting with someone. We'll set up a four hour block. You know, we go in and we don't charge you for that four hour block because we want to get to know you. So we want to make sure that we have a real true potential for a partnership and a two way street. If we can have a two way street and actually go out, and maybe have a lunch uh, or a meal and, and, and break some bread or have a little bit of personal time, like, uh, you know, we'll go in and talk about, well, you have family, I have a family. Well, what do you do for a living? What'd you do as your first job? You know, we, we kind of get to know people and then you kind of get a feel for them. But but a lot of people don't take that that criticism uh, well, uh, but we don't want to make it like criticism. Uh, we've been actually pleasantly surprised that a lot of the companies we talk to realize that they need help, um, which is refreshing. Lou, that I, and Tim, this absolutely refreshing to hear someone sit down and go, listen, we've been doing this for 50 years, but we think it's time we need some help because we need maybe some work-life balance. I'm working 80, 90 hours a week. I have two small children. I barely see them. I don't, I don't put them to bed until a Saturday night if I'm lucky. So we've had a really good response where people are accepting of that. But we also are very transparent with them up front that, you know, hey, who else is involved in decision making? Who are the stakeholders in the company? Let's not worry about let's bring them in now and talk to them up front so that everyone has a good picture. We're never there. There's no ever. There's never a wrong answer to a question we ask. We're just gathering information and we're going to give you kind of a, a really transparent you know, solution. Um, and, and they've been pretty accepting. Uh, Sue, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, maybe? absolutely. And, you know, sometimes when they give us a call, it's like Gordon said, they realize that they need help mm -hmm. and they need to make some changes or, you know, they're stuck at a certain, you know, gross revenue, you know, for the year and they want to make more money. Yeah. So sometimes these meetings take, sometimes it's two, three meetings because yeah. that initial meeting Days. For, yeah. is for them to get to know us, right? Now, if there's additional stakeholders, that initial meeting, whoever the main person was that we were speaking to, we'll go to those stakeholders, talk to them, and we'll come back in and we'll meet everyone else. And we'll just repeat that process. 
But one thing we are is we're very transparent and we're very, very honest. And part of that meeting that we have is we explain to them how we are. We're very, we'll never, we're just very open. And when we see something, we will document it and we'll talk about it with them. We won't hold back because there's a lot of emotion involved in a family owned business that's been around 30, 40 years. There's a lot of emotion involved and there's a lot of you know, maybe the dad is still involved. Maybe the mom is still involved. There's, a, you know, there's family conversations at the table um, that happen. So we need to be very sensitive to that. But we go in being very real, very open, and have one-on-one -on -one discussions over coffee and say, listen, these are our observations. And very receptive because we don't really sugarcoat anything. But we talk about it in a very constructive way manner right and you're not we're not accusatory and it's just you know maybe we oh. could do something better or work towards this goal or or you take like they might be overwhelmed at that point and we just help them break it down into smaller chunks into smaller mm -hmm. bites and if you can anyone can handle a small bite versus a large bite and if if we break it down that way it becomes less overwhelming for them and they're more receptive to it uh and we're always going to have other employees that 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 aren't aren't on board either because again like sue mentioned uh people really resist change um, but I think we do really well at that. And it becomes because you immerse yourself and you show them that, you know, what, you don't want to change why. Well, let me show you. Let's let's work for two hours your way and then let's look for two hours my way. And then we'll sit down and have a talk and then you get them on board. And that, that seems to work for us a lot. So. so uh, this so far, this conversation is based on your in, almost your initial contact and your initial sit down. Mm -hmm. So. You now learn what the company does, how they do it. Uh, you're interacting with uh, employees and management and so on. Mm -hmm. At some point, the two of you got to get together and then say, okay, so this is what we found out. This is what we got to do. And this is so on and so forth. How long does it take for, and I know it, it would vary, but typically how long would it take for the two of you to um, conjure up what needs to be done to improve this company. And then the second part of that is how long does it take to implement after you've already convinced them that these are the things that need to be done? Sure. Yeah, that's, again, I think you, you answered part of it is it's all dependent on what company and what they look to do. You know, if there's a company that has one very specific issue with maybe one product, obviously that's a, a greatly reduced timeline. Uh, but if it's a whole company, where it's been stagnant for 10 years and it's 40, 50 years old, it might take a lot longer. So what we'll do is we'll, after we do our initial contact, like you said, we'll go in and, and we'll spend uh, sometimes a day, sometimes two or three days, and we'll gather a lot of information, like you said, and then we'll create what we call a gap analysis. So we'll look at the process, the flow, the workflow, the product itself, the, the quality issues, all those things come into what a gap analysis will show us is where they need, uh, they have a deficit. They might have just delays. They might have a deficit. They might have a product design issue. We don't know, but we'll identify that in that initial uh, contact development phase. And then that might lead us to make what we call a MOP plan or a manufacturing operational plan. And then, then we go in with that documentation, right, Sue? We go in and we talk about the gaps and then we go through our MOP plan and show these are the potential solutions for the gap. There might be multiple avenues of solution and we have to work with the stakeholders to pick a proper path that they can accept that we can help with and, and move forward. Uh, and then sometimes depending on, you know, if they're early stage startup, it depends on what type of you know funds they have to, to bring in people 
to do all this because some of that infrastructure change might cost some money. Uh, but more of a, a company that's been around for a bunch of time could do it quicker. Uh, sometimes it's a, a month. Sometimes it's four to six months, right? So it could be, it could vary. All depends on the depth of the project. It does. And sometimes companies will call us in for very specific reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're having issues with their vendor procurement. You right. know, they don't know how to set AQL levels for, for their vendors. They don't have the bandwidth to find, you know, vendors for maybe a duplicity program that they're trying to, to uh, implement. So some, some of these things can be very specific. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll base our proposal or our gap analysis or that's not even a gap analysis, but, you know, a, a scope of work on that, uh, you know, front and be very specific and say, these are the things that we will do for you for your vendor procurement duplicity program. Or, you know, maybe they're having issues on how to keep inventory straight. So yeah. inventory control. So this is what we will implement for inventory control and we'll propose that to them. Uh, so that could be a very short timeline. That could be a month. That could be two months. and that's how we'll how we do it. Yeah, and we and we find too that a lot of these places don't really have partnerships with their vendors. They don't really have partnerships with their outside resources. They just have relationships. And I think you know as we continue on with our talks, it's you know a, a partnership is what you really need in, in a lot of these smaller startups that are agile that they want to be able to move and pivot quickly. Uh, you have to be transparent. It's not only with your staff, like we mentioned earlier, that you have to be very transparent with the team and the culture and the departments. You have to be transparent with your vendors. You have to be transparent. They need to be involved in the path of your company. If they know they don't know that you're going to go up to the end of the road and take a right next week, they're going to keep going straight and they're going to miss the exit, right? So if you don't have a true partnership with a lot of your vendors, so a lot of times we'll go into these companies and go visit their vendors with them and get a partnership going at that. If you have critical key components that keep your company going, you need to have a partnership. They need to know what's going on in your company. You need to also know what's going on in that vendor's company. You want to know if they struggle with, with, uh, with workforce. You want to know if they struggle with raw material flow. You want to know that, wow, we don't have enough you know, business to keep the lights on. Wow, that might not be a great vendor, or what can we do to help them? It's got to work both ways. So it's really all-encompassing um, to really shore up uh, and get a, a good partnership with with everyone involved, uh, which makes the team and the company more robust. That being said, Tim, being involved. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm just kind of waiting for the moment to jump in. Oh, Tim, how you doing, Tim? <laughs> Gordon and Susan are not short on words. <laughs> We love what we do. We really do. Well, that's a good thing. I'm just curious because in my past life, I worked in a similar capacity with manufacturers. And one of the things I was always looking for were opportunities to take machine A, which produces product A, and make machine A also produce product B, which they hadn't even thought about, mm -hmm. right? I mean, in terms of creating a brand new revenue stream, that sometimes can be a real epiphany. Susan, do you run into that quite a bit? Um, sometimes, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, some companies that we've been involved in, I mean, we've had, you know, 17 different assemblies and different. So we've had to go out and find, uh, you know, proper machinery, automation, uh, design fixtures, all of that stuff. So, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's exciting for us. We love taking on that challenge. 
Yeah, yeah the I whole thing imagine. you want to do is you want to you really want to commonize as much of you can of that product or part that you can use, you know, because a lot of times, like Sue just said, in those different areas, you know, they might run dormant for a while. And, you know, dormancy in manufacturing is just lost revenue as far as we're concerned. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of you know, uh, dream up or bring in other product and you can adjust that line or adjust that assembly to, to handle multiple products, that's win-win for everyone. Um, you know, one of the, the companies we're working with right now, you know, they've been running the same product on, on six or seven machines forever. And they want to get into a, color, a couple other indications. Now it's going to take a little bit of modification so we can help go in. And with all that extensive background that, that we have in engineering and, and all the years of, of expertise we have, we can go in and help them redesign some of those stations on those machines to a, be more accommodating or more universally or quick change tooling, like I'm sure you guys are well aware of. You know, instead of going and having a machine down for two days to change over, I'd like to have them come down and change it over an hour and a half. You know, that gets you to move, run multiple. You can run, uh, make a shift change, have a second shift come in, use that same machine, like you said, Tim, and run a different product on the second shift because I can change everything over in an hour, an hour and a half. It doesn't take me two days. So we love doing that because that just grows efficiencies and grows your revenue stream with basically the same capital asset or, or with people and, and, and your infrastructure. So clearly, and that's a, a smart way to go. Now, from your perspective, and we're kind of getting close to the end of the show here, but I want to get from Susan and then from you, Gordon. Sure. We hear that, you know, industry 4.0 is here and you've got to, you know, You've got to change to survive. Oftentimes it's software, hardware, uh, ERP systems. Where's the industry at in the small and middle market? I mean, are they struggling as much as we hear or are they actually doing pretty well? I mean, it depends. I think, technology. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the company and who they want to be, you know, as a company. I mean, with startups, they're just in the explore, exploratory stage, right? As far as what platforms they're going to use, they're still trying to develop their teams. I think with the right guidance for a lot of these new early stage companies, if we build that infrastructure the right way and really and they understand what product they're building and who their end user is going to be, that's when that technology comes in, that education and that technology. So there is so much out there for them to pick. I mean, we're always meeting with uh, new ERP uh, developers, uh, you know, CRM developers, and we try to educate ourselves so that when we go into an early stage company or a startup, we can give them recommendations on things that are easy for them to implement that will not kill their capital, you know, that will not just, you know, and something that they have to struggle through and that they can get the company up and running. So I think with the right guidance, I think a lot of early stage companies can do very well for themselves because there are so many, yeah. so many different platforms to pick from. And Gordon, are, are, do you find a lot of them still using Excel or have they? Oh, yeah, there's oh. a fair share. There's a fair share. <laughs> you know, like Sue said, fair. some of these startups and these early stage companies, they're probably earlier adopters to a lot of these newer platforms, the industry 4.0, the AI end of it. That's all, mm -hmm. you know, the big buzz right now. Uh, but they're earlier adopters because they're just different generation than we all are here today on this call. Uh, they're just they're just used to it. They grew up with it. We didn't, right? Uh, so they adopt early. Um, uh, some of the older companies that have been running on Excel, 
Uh, they are hard to turn over, but there's a lot of stuff out there. But you also have to be mindful of the capital investment on some of this. It's not just the software. It's the implementation team. It's the time and effort. It's to get everyone on board. That's that's daunting and scares a lot of people. Uh, but that's why I think, you know, to reiterate what Susan mentioned, you know, we are out there looking at some of these newer platforms that, you know, you hear cloud-based, you hear not cloud-based, you hear SAS, you hear all these different type of platforms that you have to be careful with because they're they're a huge investment. You know, you have to really look at that company and have that 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 development plan or that mop or manufacturing operational plan because we might help them fit into a better piece of software other than having to readjust their their way of doing business every day to fit the software or you go open source and you know now you're with them forever right because it takes forever to implement so yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's it's the early adopters uh, are typically the, the 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 startups and everything they are willing to adapt to that and they seem i we feel i think that they're more into all these apps and all these new softwares that are out there to run their company instead of you know the old school way the excel and pull cards i think you guys all know the pull card and you know the kanban boards and all that uh, but we go into places and sometimes we start with those old kind of, you know, mindsets because it gives them the visual aid and it gets them kind of bought into moving to one of those systems. You know, it's like a step by step for them. Sometimes you can't just go in and open a door and say, hey, ERP time. Uh, you have to give them kind of a, a break in uh, period. Right. No and doubt. Of, and and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I know that we're right at the end of the, at the uh, time slot here. However, for our listeners and viewers. Gordon and Susan are going to do a series with us. So this isn't the first and last time you're going to hear from them at Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're very excited to be working with them on a, on a new vein of information for our listeners. So I want to thank you both for being with us, and we look forward to the next show. Yeah, love it. Thank you guys so much. We look forward to it. And uh, I don't know if everybody can read the email address there. So why don't you just, uh, one of you, take the lead on that. Sure. So if anyone would like to reach out to us and have any questions or need help with their business, you can reach us at info at GS Enterprises LLC and check out our website, gsenterprisesllc.com. Once again, thanks everyone for being with us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Come back to our YouTube channel and subscribe and listen for more episodes. Keep an eye on Gordon and Susan. They're going to be with us much more often. Thanks for listening. Excellent. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Tim. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please like and subscribe, share on social media, or leave a review. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Rumble, or your favorite podcast app. Visit us online at mfgtalkradio.com for our other episodes. We have also included links to our advertisers below. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>